welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to The Common Bridge. Uh, Rich, good to have you back, and um, let's just get right into it. Look, you know, what are some of the policy responses to COVID-19 that that you see that we might have done right or wrong? And I know the book will be written later, but what are your thoughts going into what is essentially week three of this? Well, Brian, when you look at the situation, uh, it was just three weeks ago, maybe a little bit more, that we had robust employment in the United States. We had record high employment. Um, Every company uh, on the side of their trucks would have a number to call for jobs. Uh, People couldn't find enough workers. Wages were rising. The stock market was reflecting that on a a steady climb Mm -hmm. up. Record Uh, home sales, too. I understand it was record home sales being reported for February. Record home sales, Mm -hmm. uh, prosperity. And in just a few weeks, uh, that has reversed itself. The stock markets, uh, major indexes are off over 35%. Uh, people are being literally ordered not to go to work and they're being forced into unemployment. Um, we still have the medical crisis that we are, are dealing with today. Um, and we don't really know when the end point is uh, for this. So it, it is going to take some very good government um at this time it's what what you've been asking for you've been asking for good government since we started this podcast you said that's where we're lacking yeah and and brian here's the the issue is politics and policy are not binary and that's the fascinating thing that even in this existential crisis if we can say that that's not sure too extreme of a, of a position. I think it's not. People still seem to think they can win the pandemic uh, or that their partisan view is now going to prevail. They're going to get everything that they wanted and that they think their political party or their candidate now is going to look better against the other. And, and so we've got bad behavior by the people that we put in office from the two major political parties, and we have worse behavior from a whole media complex that takes a bad situation, sensationalizes it, and makes it much worse, and is, I I don't know, it's malpractice, that they don't even do basic fact checking. Mm -hmm. Um, Rich, you were beating this drum in September, long before all this, when everything looked very rosy, so it's, it's interesting that you know, nobody wants to be that right, but holy smokes, you'd called this back in September that something was going to come up and we weren't going to be able to handle it correctly because of how flawed we were, System, you know, the systematic flaws. Exactly. A couple of months ago, a friend of mine who, whose politics are very much left of center, he posed this question to me, and he's a thoughtful guy. Mm-hmm. He said, do you think we could ever be as united as we were on September 12, 2001. Hmm. And frankly, the question has stuck with me. And you know, even today, I don't have 
a clearer view. I mean, I'd like to believe we could set aside our political differences, but look what we're seeing right now. What's on full display is a partisan divide. And we have an economy that is in great peril. We have households and individuals that are very concerned. Um, we've seen behavior of, of uh, disruptions in supply chain and uh, spending patterns uh, to basic necessities of life. Mm -hmm. And folks are looking to government to say, look, we have an issue. You know, can we structure a solution? And I, I think some of the initial policy responses of let's lower interest rates, that, that doesn't make a difference. Well, why don't you educate us a little bit on that? Because um, that those kind of things are in your wheelhouse. And with some of our listeners, it's not. Um, so tell us why you might be against that and just dropping it to what the feds did today. And you can explain that because it's a, there's a difference in what they did today from what they did at 9-11. And then tell us about you know what you feel about that and what you feel about just hand out checks, if that's a good thing or a bad thing to everyone. All right, let me take both of those about just lowering interest rates and then secondly about, quote, just handing out checks. Mm -hmm. So lowering the interest rates, it's the wrong solution at the time. Now, I don't think it does any damage, but I don't think it's going to do any good. Let me bring this to a consumer level. Sure. If you had just lost your job because you were not allowed to go to work because you were not in an essential industry. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how long this is going to last. And you're thinking, can you get enough food from the grocery stores and the other essentials of life? And you've been thinking about buying a new car. Okay. Do you think you're going to say, hey, you know what? It was a 2.9% auto loan on a new car. And now it's going to go down to 0.9%, I think I'll run out and buy a new car. Okay, I completely understand that, right. right. Yeah, it, yeah, the, yeah, the problem is not the, the cost of money. <laughs> right. The problem is that people aren't working, which actually goes to your second question, quote, handing out money. Mm -hmm. um, we have to give spending power to the citizens of the United States. Mm-hmm. We have people that want to work, that have been going to work, that have been paying their taxes and doing everything as they should. And now our government's saying, you can't do that. We need to provide them unemployment insurance on an expanded basis. And not just for a portion of their salary, right? I mean, if, if the government's saying you can't go to work, shouldn't there be some, some fiduciary responsibility on the government's part to make sure that they're compensated for not physically being able to get out of the house to go? I agree, agree with that, that. The other part of that argument would be maybe you need 80 or 90 percent because there are costs associated with going to work. I understand. Sure. you got transportation mm -hmm. costs to get there and, and the like. But it's to me, that's the easiest mechanism is to um, continue that uh, unemployment insurance. And then if we get on the other side of this pandemic, then as people get called back to work, they, they come off the unemployment insurance system. Sure. All right. Mm -hmm. Problem solved. Yeah. Okay. I understand. And there also has yeah. to be protections in there for uh, small businesses that wouldn't be eligible for 
unemployment insurance, people that might have small car services, people that might have small cleaning services, mm-hmm. uh, people that uh, might be running uh, a hair salon. Sure. And and so supplementing their ability to meet their uh, rent payments, uh, to meet their obligations uh, with, within their community, they need to be supported. Otherwise, when we're on the other side of this pandemic, they won't be around, they won't be in business uh, to, to serve you. And in the meantime, they're going to suffer horrible uh, human consequences. Sure. We just, we just can't have. Yeah. So any economy has to provide spending power to the people that make the economy work. And when the social contract of give me your labor, I will give you spending power is broken because your labor is being refused, mm-hmm. there has to be a mechanism in place so that that spending power can be in the hands of those good people who are prevented from going to work. You're you're one of the guys that um, that sometimes folks go to and in, in higher levels to ask you know how would you go about doing it. So I'm going to ask you from the in, in the podcast here, is Congress going about this the wrong way? Or how, if, if you could wave the magic wand, how, what would you think would be the best way to go about that? Is is it you know a direct deposit check into bank accounts? Is it a a debit card? Is it the most fair way to do this would be to open up the unemployment insurance system. Mm-hmm. The mechanisms are there to have people apply, become eligible, to have their benefits quantified, and to receive money. And most of it is all done electronically. Mm-hmm. So if a person says, I've been a bartender and I've been making $850 a week, you take them at their word that they've been making 850 and if it's for 100% of their take-home pay or, or, or their gross pay grade, or if it's a sum percentage, they get that until they're called back to work. And, you know, is this open to fraud people saying that they are earning more right. than yeah. they are reporting? It, it is, uh, but we can't let that disrupt doing the right thing. And there's plenty of opportunity for audit after the fact and prosecution of people that make false claims like that. Sure. So um, that's the that's yeah. that's the problem of the virus is not that it's infected the financial markets and said, wow, I, I'm a virus and I'm going to attack high interest rates. And gosh, I won't be able to operate if you lower them right? It's the virus is stopping people from going to work and going about their daily lives. That's where we need to fix the problem. Right. Okay. So my next natural question is then, do you think that we went about this incorrectly? Do you think we hit this thing with a sledgehammer and it, and taking the moral question out of it just for a moment and not, not to be harsh, but do you think we hit this too hard? We're bringing the global economy to a complete halt and do you think the bang is worth the buck? I guess that's the simplest way I can put it. If it means saving lives mm-hmm. and saving a lot of lives, I don't think you can hit it hard enough. Because if that drum's starting a, to get beaten. As you know, we talked about it offline. That drum is starting to get uh, pounded a little bit. Like, are we, or is it too it, much? It, I think I'm in your camp on this one that it's saving lives. Well, I, I try to look at it like this if you are a mayor of a city, Mm -hmm. You are a governor of a state. 
you're a president of the United States, or you're any other elected official, or you're a person running a health department at a local level, or you're the Surgeon General of the United States, or running the Centers for Disease Control, the weight of this decision is enormous. Sure. So consider what would happen if there was under response. Uh-oh, this virus went a lot further, a lot faster, and a lot broader, and was more deadly than we ever thought, and now it's too late to get more aggressive about it. So it's a mistake of a biblical proportion. Uh, it, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Versus, yeah. we might be overreacting, but we're going to kill this thing or contain this thing or flatten the curve, and I've seen no evidence to the contrary that uh, that this is not the right approach. Okay. And then if it looks like things are coming under control or we've found uh, vaccines or we found medication or we, we're getting a actual uh, statistical view on, on how pervasive it is and how to manage it, mm -hmm. at that point, okay, you can start backing off some of these extreme protective measures. And by the way, all those people that we've elected and all those people serving in those very important roles in public health. Mm -hmm. We have another big set of questions coming up, hopefully, that as this looks like it's going to be on the wane, how do you start saying, hey, you know what? It's okay to go to your local restaurant again. Right. It's okay to go back to work. So there's going to be good decisions made. There's going to be errors in judgment that, that are going to be made. And there's going to be debatable was the right thing done. And sure. some things that, that, will, that will never, ever be resolved. Mm -hmm. But I, at this point, I think we have to hope that the people we've elected do the right thing. These are unprecedented times, though. I mean, it, 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 it's like you say, we're going to make mistakes along the way. Volumes will be written later on that analyze this, but we're in the middle of it and it's unprecedented. So I think there's going to be mistakes. We're going to do some things right and some things wrong. And, and is that sort of what you're getting at? Exactly. And I don't think there's any dispute that we have a virus of a type that we have not dealt with in the past. Mm -hmm. We don't have a virus that reveals itself until it's done a lot of damage. And it's a virus that makes carriers out of a lot of people who look perfectly healthy. We have United States Senator who is carrying the virus, and I, my understanding is absent any symptoms. We had young men and women come back from their spring break, not showing any symptoms, but having infection mm -hmm. shared amongst them. Sure. So our policy response, I, I think, is the right one. Um, and yes, it's very costly. Now, the question is, how do we mitigate the cost? And this is where our political system and the people in it and our media have to behave better. And we see various uh, legislation going through and we see opportunistic type of uh, behavior. Gosh, I've always wanted to get a particular thing through. Yeah. I'll tack it on to the coronavirus relief bill. Yeah, now is not the time for pork and they're doing it like crazy. It it's it, it's it's it is insane. It needs to be scaled down. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have to do with protecting the people that are affected economically, which I've I've talked about, or it doesn't have to do with protecting the businesses that we're going to need, then it it's not a thing that needs to go into this bill. Mm -hmm. So 
And that is something I want to talk about. The airline industry, which is a vital part of our economy for a lot of reasons, sure. has been just decimated by this. Mm -hmm. They can't get out of this on their own. So behind door number one, Delta Airlines, American United, Southwest can all declare bankruptcy, mothball all those airplanes, lay off all the employees, close down the airports and all the attendant business. And then at some later point, someone tries to restart those businesses out of bankruptcy, which is a very, very, you know, again, that's a long process, mm -hmm. right? That's behind door number one. Behind door number two is there's money injected into these businesses. Now, one of the things that I find interesting is that people seem to object that there's conditions put on money being invested. And frankly, as a person that's invested a lot of money and had money invested in things that I was working on, mm -hmm. I'm wondering what the problem is. Every time you invest money, there's conditions. You know, by way of example, if you are a person that wants to build apartment homes mm -hmm. and you go and get a loan through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, you can't take the money that was loaned to you and go build a casino. They right. say, no, we, we lent you that money to go build apartments. That's what you need to do. There's things that are not really controversial. Like what about executive pay? I can tell you this, Brian, in every investment that I've been involved in, when there's money going into the company, uh, there's always a question, well, how much is going out to pay management? Mm -hmm. That's a legitimate investment question. The, the other thing that you see uh, coming around is these companies should not be able to use the money for stock buybacks. And I've seen people on social media who don't know anything about this going, yeah, buybacks are bad. School, Let us, me on, explain yeah, school what, us on that. That, that, that would yeah, here's what I, I mean, a buyback is simple, okay? Let's, let's say take five friends, and they want to start a, a, a dog grooming business, and it costs $1,000 in money to get it going. And each of them put up $200, okay? So they each own 20% of the business. They have $200 in, into it. The business does great, all right? And it makes a lot of sales and it becomes three locations, four locations, five locations. So that $1,000 investment is now worth $100,000. Okay. Well, one of the partners says, you know what? I think I've had enough of this dog grooming business. I want to go do something else and I want to sell you my 20%. Okay. Well, the remaining owners are going to have the company buy back that 20%, and they're going to buy it back at $20,000. That's a stock buyback. Mm -hmm. That's what these companies do. It's just done on a bigger scale. They look at what the return they can get on that capital in terms of investing it in, in equipment and in uh, plants mm -hmm. and in uh, personnel. Or is there a greater return if they buy back their own stock? So why the heck is this a logjam in Congress? Why is this a stopping point or an arguing point? Because legitimately, I first of all, I will tell you, I agree with it, that they shouldn't be able to use the money for stock buybacks, mm -hmm. just like low interest rates don't change anything. If Delta Airline gets, you know, a billion dollars and they turn around and use it to buy their stock back, all that does is raise the price of the stock for the people that are holding it, 
it doesn't do anything about sustaining the business. Right. It, it, it doesn't pay to keep the doors open. Now, what Senator Warren, again, a person who's distinguishing herself with policy ideas, mm-hmm. um, she said, look, they should be barred permanently from doing stock buybacks. I don't think that's the right answer because there's just too many ways to get around that. Um, by you start up another company inside, build a tracking stock. I see. And that becomes the stock you can buy back. So what I would I would think the effective way to do it would be to say no stock buybacks for 10 years because it wouldn't be time to get cute or get clever with it. Sure. So I don't have a problem with that. It's, you know, you're going to take money from somebody. There's going to be conditions put on that money. Now, now some of the other stuff she's got in there, which is about provide one seat to workers on the board of directors um, or more if they take more money. Now you get into, well, who represents, you know, the workers or the unions. And when you say she on this, we're talking about Pelosi now that that's her. No, no, no. This is this is uh, in in Warren's. Still Warren's. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Yep. You did. Yeah. You know, that's something that could be negotiated by a collective bargaining unit. Um, and again, it doesn't fix the problem. It's an overreach by Senator Warren, whether she's right about this or wrong about this, it has no place in coronavirus recovery. Mm-hmm. Okay, it just doesn't need to be there. Right, and this is um, coming from somebody, you, who, who's been, uh, you've been a pretty good supporter of her uh, a while here. You're just saying that this is this is something that's ill-advised. Right, I- exactly right. Um, some other things that she's got in there, um, get shareholder and board approval for all political spending. You know, mm. if that could be managed, that would be one thing. And if you applied it to unions, that would be, uh, y- you know, at least equality and equivalence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get her point about trying to keep money out of politics, but how you could get that to a shareholder vote, um, I-, I just can't even imagine what the mechanics would be given the the, the nature of how that, uh, works its way through. You know, she's got some other things in there about um, executive comp uh, during the time that federal uh, funds are there. And I think, again, that's a legitimate investment decision about whether dividends get paid out. That's also something that an investor would control. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, and I haven't seen it yet, although there was the uh, noises made about this by the administration, that if money was going to go into a business, that there was going to be an expectation of a return uh, back to the uh, federal government. Mm-hmm. So if, again, I'll use Delta Airlines, again, if, if taxpayer money goes into Delta and the, the, it recovers, Delta would pay that back with some measure of return. And we have Not some precedent. A, we have some precedent precedent with that with TARP and and uh, the 2008 uh, debacle, right? I mean, when it, it, the government it, got involved with the automotive industry, and then they were paid back with dividends. Am I not correct on that? Or yeah, that's that's exactly right. And 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 by the way, there were a lot more controls put around uh, TARP and and the programs of that era, um, and that is something that does need to be put in place. And that is something that uh, I think, frankly, that from what I can tell, that the uh, administration is being a little fast and loose with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other area, and I haven't had time to dig into it in depth, is that uh, there would be direct payments to hospitals. And and there's lots of mechanisms for doing this, which 
uh, Brian time won't permit me to go into how we, to do that. Yeah, we, we can hit um, it, we can hit that another time too. But right. these other things that are in there about let's change the child and the earned income tax credit uh, that's coming over from the house. It doesn't belong here. It doesn't fix the problem. Uh, injecting forty billion into schools and universities that doesn't solve the problem because they're they've still got their constituencies. They're still teaching classes. Sure. Um, you know, and then also billions into grant funding for states to carry out this year's election. How that made it here, I don't know. Uh, again, the problem is we have a severe health matter uh, of great importance that required drastic measures. Those drastic measures damaged people's ability to earn a living. We need to go shore that up yesterday. Mm -hmm. And we also need to preserve the industries that we will want once this economy starts gelling again. And it will. Okay. Rich, I know you've had a long travel day. And um, so I, I, want, I really appreciate your time for this. Uh, let's meet up again midweek. And I'm going to hit you with some quick takes because I have a feeling you have some opinions out here that really don't belong with uh, Common Bridge, but I'd still like to hear it. Is that all right? Sounds like a good plan to me, Brian. And uh, again, look, our, our, our work at the Common Bridge is real simple. Politics are not binary. The Polar political extremes are not getting us where we need to go. The political parties have gotten very adept at attacking each other and have not gotten equally competent at dealing with the issues of, of the day or seizing on the opportunities. And this is a great country filled with compassionate and generous people. We need to have a government that reflects the quality of our people and we need to have a media environment that is sober and factual and unslanted and treats people like adults who can make a decision. And, and, we, and we will get there if we demand those things. I agree. And, and we it, will it, keep getting what we're getting if we keep accepting it. And that's great. And you've been on that point since we started this. So I really appreciate it. And, um, and, and this was a, a really good talk. And like I say, I appreciate it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ring your bell at midweek, though. We're going to talk about some other things to see if I can get your opinion. Is that all right? It sounds great, Brian. Always good to chat. All right. Take care, Rich. All right. So long. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.